was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so happy to welcome my guest, legendary Broadway dancer and choreographer, Bayork Lee. Bayork Lee made her Broadway debut at the age of five in the original production of The King and I, and her other Broadway dancing credits include Flower Drum Song, Bravo Giovanni, Mr. President, Here's Love, Golden Boy, A Joyful Noise, Henry Sweet Henry, Promises Promises, and Seesaw. She is perhaps best known for creating the role of Connie in and serving as the dance captain for A Chorus Line. She went on to choreograph many productions of that show around the world, including the Broadway revival, and her other choreography credits include My One and Only, along with Tommy Toon, and the tours of Bombay Dreams and The King and I. She is also the founder of the National Asian Artists Project. So now, without further ado, the great Bayork Lee. Uh, did you want to be an um, uh, interviewer in, uh, in your future uh, career or what? What do you want to do? Well, I've always thought about being a director like, like you are. And oh, oh, okay. We need more. <laughs> we also need playwrights too. So, so do it all. Write, write your own plays and then direct them. That's good advice for you. Yeah. And uh, can I ask how old you are? Right. At 13, I knew exactly what I was going to do. So I knew at five that I wanted to, to do what I'm doing. So it's it's in the DNA very early on. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sort of leads me to my first question, which is how did you first get interested in theater? Well, um, the um, casting people came to Chinatown looking for children for the King and I. And um, so I had been um, at three, you know, uh, my mother uh, had taken me to a dancing school um, that my uh, a neighbor was teaching at. So, but that was just running around. I didn't know what theater was or, or anything like that. But when the uh, casting people came looking for kids in Chinatown, we all went uptown to do the auditions uh, at the Majestic Theater. and. Um, and I was chosen. And uh, uh, we, um, uh, I got to uh, read for the part of Princess Ying and I didn't know how to read. And so my mother, you know, I, I did it through rote and, and I got the part, which was great. And then of course we went out of town and I was always watching, um, I was very curious, you know, I was always watching the dancers warm up and the singers vocalizing. And I would have my mother take me to the theater very early, right after school, because um, I wanted to walk around the stage. I wanted to see the lights. I, I just loved it. And the doorman, um, Wilbur, um, he just loved taking me around and showing me around. 
And uh, it, you know, you never know. Um, I love signing in. I love being early. Um, I I just loved being in the theater and seeing the red velvet seats and the chandelier. I mean, I can I can explain everything. I can tell you everything that went on at five years old to to make me say, uh, I'm home. This is what I want to do. And how did your parents feel about your choice of career and about being an actor at such an early age? Um, I don't think they had anything to say about it. <laughs> no, I think I was very, um, I was um, very headstrong. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I was with you, Brenner. I was with all of these, you know, famous people. Um, it was very exciting. Um, um, my father didn't know what I was doing because he was, he worked, um, you know, many hours uh, opening his restaurant in Chinatown. And so um, it was my mother who uh, had to take care of me. But, you know, uh, and my, my brothers had to sacrifice not playing baseball, you know, to, to take, take dinner to me between shows or take me for a matinee on a Saturday. You know, um, everybody chipped in so that I could um, do this incredible show. And it was a huge hit, of course, and I was a part of it. Um, I don't think um, I had, they didn't have any choice because that's, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And it's, it's exactly how um, you're talking also. You know, you want to be a director and you'll make it happen. Because, you know, and uh, if, if your mother says or your parents say, oh, no, 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 got to go to school and you have to do this and you'll do all of those things and you'll become a director. <laughs> you know, you, you'll minor in theater or whatever, but what is supposed to be is supposed to be. And I was supposed to be doing exactly what I'm doing now. And where did you study singing and dancing? And uh, well, at... Um, when when this when the show was uh, uh, I had outgrown my costume at eight years old and so uh, three of us uh, Ro Rogers and Hammerstein they asked us what we wanted to do and so one girl wanted piano lessons another girl wanted acting and I wanted dancing and Jerome Robbins was the choreographer and um, I wanted to go to wherever I saw the, the dancers warming up and that was School of American Ballet. And so I was enrolled there uh, at School of American Ballet. I stayed there for 12 years and I got my training there. But in the meantime, um, the, my neighbor upstairs, he was a dancer with the Catherine Dunham Company. And uh, he had told my mother at three, you know, you should take your daughter, you know, running around, whatever. But I started going back there. And uh, I'm glad I did because, you know, um, it's a whole other uh, ballet really, you know, has a, a incredible form and technique. But I also learned uh, to dance with drums. Um, and to, um, to, it was kind of the start of jazz, you know, the basics of jazz dancing and all of that. So, and then I went to performing arts high school, which is the fame school and is LaGuardia now. Yeah. Was your, your original ambition was to be mostly a dancer or all three or? How did uh, it, was, it was to be a, a ballet dancer. I wanted oh. to be. I wanted to be a prima ballerina and uh, 
when I was at the uh, School of American Ballet, Balanchine was creating, uh, uh, he was creating the, his first Nutcracker Suite. And so Jerome Robbins uh, had the kids in it. And so I was in it. And I used to watch Maria Talchief um, dancing the Sugar Plum Fairy, or it was uh, Valentin's wife, Tannic Willa Clerk. And I was just mesmerized being on your toes and, you know, um, also being in the theater again. I had been, you know, <laughs> all of those kids were just kids and I had already a Broadway show under my belt, you know, and I was back in the theater. So that was exciting for me to uh, all of a sudden be in a, 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 with the ballet company you know, watching them. And and in the chorus line, I, I sing about Maria Talchief. I sing that I wanted to be like Maria Talchief. So, uh, and it was my experience uh, doing the Nutcracker that I, um, that I wanted to be like her. And what were some of the things you learned from working with these legends of the theater at such an early age, like Jerome Robbins and Richard Rogers and all of well, Richard Rogers, you know, um, I was very lucky because I had, I was on a white contract because I had a speaking role. And so um, Richard Rogers uh, would come down and um, Oscar Hammerstein didn't come that much. I worked with John Van Ruten on my lines, um, but uh, discipline, you learn discipline, uh, you learn uh camaraderie. I mean, there's just so much that you learn at a very early age. And, um, you know, they don't give kids the credit that are in Broadway shows because they're treated like adults. And yet they don't have uh, the say that adults have in creating their role. They are just there to, you know, be puppets. Um, they're never asked to contribute to the, the making of the show. So um, what, what have I learned? Um, I think I learned everything. Uh, the smell of the grease paint, the roar of the crowd, you know, all of those things from a roar of the grease paint, that show, um, everything. Um, and I learned at a very early age, the discipline, being on time, uh, ha having uh, be on your cue, the cues, know your cues um, and all of those things. Um, don't sit in your costumes, um, you know, res be respectful of your costumes and all of those things um, that has carried on, you know, people learn in college now, but I was learning at five, so, yeah. yeah. And what was your sort of daily life like being on Broadway at this time? Well, of course you had to go to school. When we were out of town, we had a tutor but coming back, uh, we all went to our respective schools. And so we had an agreement that we would leave, we would only do half a day on uh, Wednesdays so we could go to matinee. But uh, you had to be at school by nine. And then uh, of course um, you have to have your dinner and then but I would always go to the theater. I would, after school, I wanted to go to the theater, you know? So um, my, my mother would take dinner for me and, um, and do my homework, you know? Uh, do my homework at the theater, uh, explore the theater, um, uh, and uh, do my homework. 
Uh, and then the shows were very late at that time. So the shows came down at 1130 at night. They, they went up at 830. And uh, King, The King and I was a very long show. So um, I would be home by midnight and uh, trying to finish up my homework, go to bed and get up to be at school by nine o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was the routine and I loved it. I loved, um, I loved being the theater. I loved um, listening to all the gossip, you know, and I used to go down and watch, watch the dancers warm up and I'd say, what are you doing, you know? I want to do that, <laughs> whatever that was, you know. And they say, well, we're, we're from the School of American Ballet, and this is where we studied, and or oh, I've done this show, and I've done that show. But also Yuriko, um, she was the lead dancer, and uh, she was with the Martha Graham Company. And so I used to watch, you know, that, that kind of warm-up also, which was a very different warm-up from the ballet warm-up. But I just knew that, you know, she inspired me watching her um, dance. Um, I never told anybody this, but, you know, they kept the kids on the eighth floor. And on the ninth floor was the catwalk. And so we would open up the catwalk. And so we could watch the show from above. So we had to be very, very quiet. <laughs> but we watched the show almost every single night from above. <laughs> and what were some of the most memorable auditions that you had in your career as a dancer? Oh dear. Um, I think, I think, um, I think Golden Boy uh, with Sammy Davis. Um, it was the kind of dancing that uh, that wasn't the usual style of Broadway. It was um, uh, Donald McHale. Uh, he was a modern dancer. Um, and um, that I think that was one of the hardest that I've had on auditioning. Also, uh, Peter Gennaro. I auditioned for Peter Gennaro for Mr. President. And um, his style of dancing was very different than I had been um, you know, used to because I was in The King and I, I was in Flower Drum Song. Um, those were very specific um, styles, you know, Asian kind of styles, but also uh, Carol Haney was, was very jazz and Gene Kelly was the director. So um, those auditions were hard, but I have to say that those shows that I auditioned for, I auditioned as a kid. And so they were not really dancing, dancing auditions until I got to, um, till I got to uh, Flow, um, uh, Golden Boy, where I went in as a dancer and I had to dance. <laughs> Even though I, I had auditioned for uh, uh, the part of the shoeshine boy uh, or covered him, um, they still wanted to see me dance. And were there ever shows that you turned down? I think I, I've never turned anything down. <laughs> I never did. Uh, there are shows that I didn't get. You know, I wanted to work with um, Jack Cole, and he was doing a show. I think it was called Chicham. 
um, and I auditioned for him. And uh, but I was still in high school, and uh, I think he could see that I was still, you know, I wasn't really seasoned. But that was quite an experience because all you did was just brushes to the side, brushes to the back, brushes to the side, and a couple of jumps, and and he knew what he wanted, you know. And how you know I didn't really really dance, but he just knew the technique that someone had that I really wanted to work with him. Well, I'd love to talk about Michael Kidd, who was another great choreographer who you worked with. Yes, Michael Kidd. Um, well, I came in as one of the children in the show and um, he found out that I could do point work because I had been at School of American Ballet. And so he um, used me with, with the dancers to do uh, the parade and I was on point. Um, and I would just mesmerize because he had just finished the movie, um, Seven Brides with Seven Brothers. And um, of course I had never seen it because I was working. So I never saw the movie, but everybody was telling me about Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd. And um, it was just, he would just sit there and he would just say, I want that, and I want this and I want that. And, and people would just come up with, you know, what their skills, uh, a lot of acrobatics and, um, and uh, it was quite something working with him. Yeah. And when you later became a choreographer in your own right, what did you either take or not take from these choreographers in the way that they led their shows? Um, everything. I mean, th that is, um, I mean, that is my, uh, my treasure, my, my, my bag of treasures working with all of these choreographers, you know, um, Jerome Robbins and, and Michael Kidd and Peter Gennaro and Donald McHale and uh, who else? Michael Bennett, Tommy Toon. I mean, all of them. Uh, and also the directors that I've worked with, all of it, you know, um, Mike Nichols and uh, on and on and on. And, you know, you, you don't realize that you're gathering all this information until it's time for you to stand on your own two feet and go out there and do it. And so um, that was such a, a relief to know, oh my goodness, I do have a vocabulary. Um, and it all depends on the, um, the show that you're choreographing or you're directing. Um, you know, all of, all of those memories and all of those images and all, you know, whatever, um, as you read the script or as you listen to the music. Um, oh, I did this with so-and-so, or I did this with so-and-so, or um, doing all your research. Um, for 18 years, I was the a resident choreographer for the Washington Opera. And so I did, I stayed, a, um, I spent a lot of time um, at the library looking at um, operas and uh, gavotte and and all of the medieval English dances, all of those things. So um, I just knew that I had my uh, life cut out for me because um, 
starting to choreograph for the opera meant research every single time. And then when I started doing things like Animal Crackers uh, at Arena Stage, and then it was the Marx Brothers, and then, oh my goodness, now we're into musical theater and all of my skills that I had learned um, came into being. Something you did for, I believe, 12 years as a dancer was the Millican Breakfast Show, where, and how did this sort of first start for you? Well, uh, it had been going on for, for many years. And uh, when I became a Michael Bennett dancer, uh, Michael Bennett was asked to uh, take over as choreographer uh, for several seasons, and he brought his tribe in because you, ha you had to belong to a, a group. And so he brought all of us there. And um, Michael left and, um, and I stayed on and I did it for 12 years. And at, at the last three, two years, two or three years, I had already um, been in a chorus line and came back to New York and Graziella Danielle had taken over and um, she asked me if I would um, be an assistant choreographer and choreograph for the children because there was a whole uh, 12 uh, children's section uh, of Millican clothes for, for, for girls. And uh, I choreographed, choreographed that with Donald O'Connor and um, a couple of other you know, stars. We had 12 stars. I don't know, you spoke to Cheetah Rivera about it, didn't you? about the Millican show? Not about the Millican show. Oh, okay. She was one of our stars and uh, Cheetah Rivera, Gwen Verdon. We would have 10 stars every year. We would have Citerese, Gwen Verdon, Cheetah Rivera, uh, Tony Bennett, uh, Tony Martin, uh, who was, um, was uh, Citerese's husband, uh, Donald O'Connor. I mean, it's just all the Hollywood stars. Yeah. What were some of your favorite numbers, either to perform or to choreograph? In the Millican show, oh my goodness, I can't remember it so far. It's been, but you know, you had um, probably, um, the, the children probably had about three or four changes in different, you know, uh, outfits. And you would say the name of the, the maker. Um, and Millican was the fabric and they would make the fabric for this particular house. And so you would, you would say the house of so-and-so and the fabric is Millican. Um, some of my favorite numbers, as I said, when I choreographed for um, Don O'Connor, it was fun because I would come home and say, I am giving Don O'Connor notes. <laughs> Well, you know, and I just loved him in uh, Singing in the Rain, you know, <laughs> but um, that, that was exciting, uh, choreographing for Donald O'Connor. And also working for Graziella Danielle, who has, uh, was a mentor, who is a mentor, and she's going to get a special Tony Award this year. So, uh, yeah, and she gave me the opportunity to, to choreograph and said, Bario, if you can do it. You know, you can, you can, you've spent all these years assisting and you, you have no idea what you know. And she gave me the opportunity. And at what point in your career as a dancer did you start thinking about 
doing choreography and being a choreographer? I never did. Oh. I never, ever thought about doing choreography or being anything other than uh, in the ensemble dancing. I just loved it. I loved I loved working with different choreographers. I loved being in the chorus. I loved, you know, we weren't really singers, but I just loved to be in the back, you know, perform. I just loved being on stage. So I had no idea. And then one day I was doing Promises, Promises, and Michael and Bob Avian came back and said, you're going to be the dance captain. And I went, dance captain? And they said, yes, um, uh, we're taking Betsy, Betsy to... London and uh, Margot's gone and we think that you're you're next and I said well I don't know how to be dance captain you know and they said well we'll, we'll take care of it and that was the beginning of learning to look at the entire stage and keeping my notes um and being on the other being management you know representing uh, Michael Bennett um that was the first time I went, oh, okay, so it's not just about me singing and dancing. I was also dancing in the show, but it was also another mindset, another part of my brain um, that I had to keep um, uh, track. Uh, each dancer had a track, and I had to know, so if they left, I could replace them. And uh, that was the beginning, because the show ran for three years, and then after that, for about two or three years, I went around the country, um, uh, recreating Michael's choreography with Promises, Promises. So before we talk more about Michael Bennett, I am curious to ask about two of the shows you danced in that are two of my favorites, which are Here's Love and Henry, Sweet Henry. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, Here's Love came first. Um, and I came in as one of the kids in the show. And that was the one where... Um, Michael Kidd found out that I could do point work and he put me in the show. Um, I really love that show. And, um, and that's where Michael Bennett and I met for the second time because I had met him earlier uh, uh, when we were uh, very young. He used to come down from Buffalo and go to uh, the dancing school, Sevilla Fort, where my friend, uh, my neighbors was teaching and um, Catherine Dunham School. And, uh, and then all of a sudden here, here he is. And he's, uh, he's uh, in the show also. And we, we connected again. And he had said to me then, he said, um, I don't want to dance anymore. He said, I want to be a choreographer. And of course I went, oh, <laughs> so he started teaching. He started teaching jazz. Um, and uh, we were taking classes from him and uh, at that time, you know, he was trying to break into being a choreographer, but you had the Fosses and you had uh, uh, Ron Field and you had Peter Gennaro, you had all of these all timers that they were not going to move, roll over and move over for a 20 year old at all. You know, so he had to go off to um, summer stock and he went out into the boondocks to do West Side Story and Pajama Game. And um, he met, in the meantime, he met um, John Raitt. He was doing pajama game with him. And John Raitt said that uh, he was going to be doing uh, a show that may come to Broadway. He, and he loved Michael Bennett's work. And so he wanted him to be the choreographer. 
So um, that was the joyful noise that that Michael's first show. But you know, it all started with us meeting again in in um, Here's Love. Um, and I never thought that you know um, I would become a Michael Bennett dancer because I didn't know that he was going to really be a choreographer, you know? So we both went our separate ways. And then, you know, I get the phone call that he's doing a show. And by that time I was in Golden Boy and um, uh, we took a hiatus and he said, well, it's for the summer. So, you know, we're gonna tour. And so that was exciting dancing for him because he demanded from, the, from all the females to dance just as hard as, as all the male dancers. And that was challenging and wonderful. Um, and he had a combination of Jerome Robbins and you know the people that he had uh, had mentored him. And the choreography was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And so you just knew that something something was going on here. That it, he was somebody special. Then I left and went up to London to do. Um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Then then uh, uh, Henry Sweet Henry came along. And of course, at that time, if you had a choreographer, you went and you did what he did. So I became a Michael Bennett dancer. So when Henry Sweet Henry came along, then I went into Henry Sweet Henry. And uh, it was perfect because, you know, we were all in um, girls school and... Uh, and uh, it, it was quite exciting to be working with him again, doing very, very exciting choreography, even though the show, you know, had lots of faults and, you know, um, we, we only ran a, a, a little while, maybe uh, a month or two. We, I remember closing New Year's Eve and we were at the Palace Theater and we came out and, you know, people were waiting for the ball to drop. <laughs> and, and we have all these, we were all crying because the show had closed. And we had to cross Broadway and all these people um, who were there to watch the ball drop. Um, I have some wonderful memories, Alice Platon. I don't know if you've seen uh, Nobody Stepped on Capritz. Oh yes, on the Ed Sullivan Show. On the Ed Sullivan Show. We just love dancing in that show. We love dancing in that show. So, so what, those are the two shows. <laughs> and what were some of the biggest changes you saw being made to these shows that you were working on as a dancer? Oh, well, uh, first of all, um, Promises, Promises. You know, uh, when um, I had been in London doing Golden Boy and Michael called and said, you know, you have got to come back to New York and um, for, prom uh, for Promises, Promises. And the Turkey Lurkey song that we do now, it was done by three secretaries with Donna. Donna and two other secretaries who were singers, they were not dancers. And that was the, the biggest change I've ever seen in a show. Um, a, a couple of others, shows also but that was the biggest change of michael saying um that's that number's not working and uh then he went away with marco sappington his assistant and came back with um with the number that we're doing now 
which is, you know, the Turkey Lurkey number, which is iconic. <laughs> Whoever who would have thought, you know, um, that was the biggest change. Um, and of course, if you're out of town and it's not working, then you're in the next day and lines are cut, songs are rewritten. And uh, that was exciting because Burt Bacharach had never written a Broadway show and the, and the music, of course, we knew the music that, you know, his music was very popular with uh, Dionne Warwick. And then here we are singing Burt Bacharach songs. And uh, it was the first time we had um, orchestra pit singers that augmented us dancing. And, uh, and, and the orchestra was set up like a recording studio, you know, with the glass barriers between each instrument and things like that. Um, that was exciting. You know, I'd never seen that before. Usually an open pit with, you know, um, but, you know, it, it was kind of set up for sound. I mean, they were really um, conscious of sound. I'm sure Burt Bacharach had a lot to do with it. And um, so that was one of the biggest changes. Um, uh, you know, we, uh, in Henry Sweet Henry, we were changing every day. I just remember Michael had us uh, in the Merrill Mitkin Modern Dance Company, and he put us in sacks, in big old sacks, and we were supposed to be dancing amoebas. And we would get in this sack, and we would just roll around and just punch into crazy things. <laughs> and that, that was in and out within 24 hours. <laughs> the Merrill Mitkin Modern Dance Company. In Henry, sweet Henry. Um, yeah, there were a lot of changes in that show. I really liked the dancing in that show. Yeah. I, I like I love dancing Michael Bennett's uh, choreography because every show was totally different. You know, Promises was totally different from Henry, sweet Henry, and um, Joyful Noise was very different from um, from a chorus line. <laughs> Did you have a sense at this time of how well these shows were going to do? Oh. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, Promises, Promises um, ran for three years. And three years is a long time for a Broadway show at that time. And um, I wanted to go on with Michael because I was one of his dancers. And he went on to do... Coco and Follies and uh, all of those shows. And I couldn't do them because he left me in charge of Promises, Promises. I was the dance captain. I could not leave. Um, so I would have liked to have experienced those shows with him, but somebody had to take, stay and take care of the store. It ran for three years and there I was. Um, I'm happy that I stayed, but I would have liked to have been a part of those other shows. Yeah. How have you felt throughout your career about critics and their role in theater? Critics? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think they need to stay in a studio for 48 hours while we are trying to figure out 
two eighths of a combination or, a, you know, be in the process of how to create a show and just to come in and um, tear it down. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to take that criticism when you've worked so hard uh, because also we need them because people out in the boondocks that want to come to New York, they don't want to spend their money on a show that's not good. But, you know, I think in the last, what, 20 years, um, shows are becoming hits in spite of the critics. You know, uh, they're saying, forget it. You know, we're, we're going out there and we're going to sell it to the people. And, um, and, uh, and we are going to sell tickets and we're going to continue on. And so, and I think that's good. Yeah. You know, yes, yes, we need the critics. And that's only one man's opinion. That's only one man's opinion. Um, but then uh, now we have, all kinds of marketing and people are going to see the shows like Wicked and Les Mis and, and all of these shows that and Phantom and they're all running uh, whether whether uh, they get good reviews or not. And at this point while you were a dancer did you consider that you were in the golden age of Broadway and would you define it that way now? You know, when you're in the thick of it, you don't know what you're in. <laughs> you know, I didn't know if I was in or anything. I just knew that I was working and I was an Asian uh, performer. Um, I was one, one of the very, very few that was working. Uh, I was representing my community and um, that was very important to me. And I was getting into shows like Golden Boy um, and all of these shows that... Um, you know, colorblind casting, as far as I was concerned, thank goodness um, that I was there. But um, I didn't know I was part of all of that until now, <laughs> the golden, you know, golden years of, of uh, Broadway. And now you founded the National Asian Artist Project to help increase Asian representation on Broadway. And I'd be curious to know if you would want to talk about this. Did you experience oppression as one of the only Asian dancers? Um, only going to auditions, you know. Um, uh, I just remember, um, you know, going to an audition and... Uh, uh, they would come out into the into the um, out, outside. You weren't allowed in, and they'd say, um, "You, you, and you, and you, and you were not looking for your types, whatever." And then Equity said that they had to let us in the door, and so we would walk into the door, line up, and they would just pick you and you and you, and thank you very much. Um, so that that's what I experienced, you know, um, but I was very, very blessed and lucky that I had worked with the choreographers and that people knew my name and that I was getting a, a good reputation and that I would get a phone call to come to an audition. So, um, but I just remember those days of, you know, uh, being outside and they're going, where, you know, 
we're not looking for your type. We're not, you know, whatever. So yeah, I did experience that. Um, but I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so I, I'm glad that, you know, things are changing. Um, more shows are being written for diversity. Um, and it's not just, you know, I, I keep telling everybody in my, my group is that all you have to do is show up, you know, just that that's the most important thing because everyone gets so discouraged and they go, why should I bother? And, uh, that's the one day that someone says, oh my goodness, you're, you're wonderful. Come in, you know, um, so the most important thing is know your craft, know who you're auditioning for, and uh, and show up. Uh, in the days that I worked, um, the ensemble did not have uh, managers or or representation at all. You just got it from from uh, the newspapers or somebody told you there was going to be an audition. Um, now it's very different because the ensemble now, you know, they're coming out of uh, NYU and Pace and all of those universities and they have representation. They are, you know, um, they have agents, they have managers, they have studied how to uh, write, uh, how to look at contracts. Um, so many things are, uh, they're so savvy that we weren't then, you know, we, we just wanted to get into a show and uh, whatever they paid us, we took. Um, and at that time, you know, there was an ensemble dance, there was ensemble vocal, and there were actors. And so you didn't you didn't go in for uh, you didn't sing like a singer, or the or the singers didn't dance like dancers. But after a chorus line, there you go. You have to do all three. And um, um, that saves the producer because he he can hire one person, <laughs> not three people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also that lifts the bar to be so much higher for the ensemble that they have to sing, dance, and act. And I think that's important because a, a lot of the ensemble now can go right into roles because they have the experience. And I think that's good. I think that's very good. And this is, of course, skipping ahead and we will come back. But how did the idea happen to found the National Asian Artist Project? Where did that come from? I was um, I was uh, in. Um, I was in South Africa and I was there helping with uh, an AIDS group at the Stellenbosch University. And we were developing uh, a company and, and I just, you know, I, I, I just took one day and I looked at myself and I said, you know, I have helped so many people in um, Stockholm and Austria and all of these places I had already directed a course of mine and brought this incredible piece to them. And here I was in South Africa, you know, um, developing, helping them to develop this, this theater company. And I said, you know, I have not done anything for my community. <laughs> Here I am helping everybody else. And I had the opportunity to, that was, you know, that was the, the trigger. And then I went off to direct um, 
The King and I with Sandy Duncan and um, my uh, assistants, Nina Zoe Lamb and Stephen Ang. We were talking one day and I said, you know, I've been thinking about forming a company. I said, where, where do all these talented Asians go? And they said, well, they have to wait for the next King and I or the next Miss Saigon because there's nothing else for them. And I said, you know, I've been thinking about such a long time and talking about, I would love to form a company for Asian artists to do shows that they would not uh, be, be um, casted. And they said, listen, if you really want to do it, we'll help you. And uh, God bless Stephen Ng. He found us a lawyer and uh, we got a grant to, uh, to get our 501c3. And uh, we started talking and, and, you know, once you put it out in the universe, you can't stop. You know, it was something that I was thinking about, thinking about, thinking about. And then all of a sudden, these two forces came and said, let's do it. If you want to do it, we will help you. And, um, and that was, what, 10 years ago, 10 years ago. And uh, we formed the company. And before we formed the company, I had already um, directed uh, The King and I in Atlanta. And um, we, we kept saying, you know, we're not a company. We're just, <laughs> we have a name, we have everything, but we, we, we don't have the papers or anything. And that was the first time that I realized that this was serious and that I, I couldn't just talk about it, that this was really going to be a company. And we got our 501c3 um, soon after that. And, um, and the first show that I wanted to do was Oklahoma and then Carousel and then Hello Dolly. I wanted to do the classics because I realized that I was educating a community because, you know, they're not used to going to theater. And uh, Chinatown is only, you know, two, eight stops away, but there was no need to go up to, to a, a Broadway house. And, um, and then Freddie Gershon, who is the head of the Music Theater International, he, I was doing a seminar for him and he said, what's your next step? You've done so much. And I said, well, you know, I would like to, um, I would like to give back to my community and uh, I would like to start with kids. And he said, you find me a school and I will um, sponsor you for two years. So I went back to Chinatown <laughs> and my cousin's children had gone to PS124. We spoke to the principal and she said, well, this is a chess school. We, we start chess very young. And I said, yeah, but we're going to sing and dance, you know. And she said, well, I don't know how the parents are going to take that, you know, singing and dancing. And um, so we had, um, we had a struggle in the first couple of years. And now the parents understand that we have to educate both sides of the brain, you know, the artistic side and the, uh, the academic side. And so they sing and dance and we take them down to the, the uh, junior theater festival that uh, Music Theater International um, subsidizes. And uh, they get to meet 6,000 other kids. They're the youngest, the only Asian group, the only group from New York. And um, they compete and they come home with little trophies, you know, in uh, either an act 
acting or an ensemble or production, you know, and they've, they've done uh, Lion King and they've done Annie and they've done Guys and Dolls and they've, you know, they've done all sorts of shows, Mermaid, um, Beauty and the Beast, and, uh, and they're, uh, the ages are eight to 12. Yeah. And they're still going strong. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And, I and also, uh, I started a choir. We have about 45 members, and they are uh, students at Pace or um, um, NYU, uh, graduates of uh, University of Michigan Theater Department. Um, they come from all over, uh, from China, Taiwan, and they're going to school. And then we have the semi-professionals, and then we have professionals who are un unemployed. And uh, I started it because, you know, um, voice lessons are very expensive. And I thought, you know, let's all meet once a week and we'll vocalize and we'll sing, you know, Cole Porter or Cy Coleman or Rodgers and Hammerstein. And so that's been going on for about eight years now. Um, and uh, we uh, have received, you know, we do concerts. We uh, sing at the um, Actors Fund Nursing Home out in um, Englewood, New Jersey. Um, and they've sung at uh, down at the Kennedy Center. Um, yes, and, and uh, we've opened it up. It, it was an all Asian uh, uh, choir. And now it's whoever wants to sing. And that's the most important thing. If you like to sing, you wanna be with us, join us. So now to go back in time to 1973, I believe, when Seesaw was, and how did Seesaw sort of enter your life? Oh dear, uh, Seesaw. I, where, what was I doing? Um, did I do Seesaw? No, um, I was in the, I was doing the film Jesus Christ Superstar in Israel. And uh, Michael Bennett was um, made all these phone calls. And I came back and Michael called up and he said, um, you're getting on a plane tomorrow. We're going to Detroit. And so um, I packed. And when I got to the airport, there was Tommy Chun and Bob Avian. And we all went to doctor the show. And, you know, in those days, they had, they were called theater doctors and Michael Bennett was asked to be one. And everybody helped everybody, you know. Um, he had Neil Simon come into a chorus line to help us. And, you know, at, at that time, everybody helped one another. So we went in to look at uh, Seesaw and Michael said, I can fix this. And we said, really? And he said, yes, I can fix this. And so we all settled down and um, we were in the uh, producer's um, suite. And I was in the bathroom with uh, Bob Avian. And we had, um, he called in Frank Pietri, who, who was a dancer in Promises and also played the conga drums. And he was banging on the toilet seat. Tommy Toon was in the bedroom doing a tap dance with uh, uh, Tommy Walsh that I had just met in the desert of Israel. And I said to Michael, who's a very talented guy and uh, a girl named um, 
Patty Tibet, they were tap dancing in the that living room and uh, uh, with, with Tommy Toon and Michael Bennett was in, in um, another bedroom and he was helped writing the script um, with the, the producer. And uh, I mean, it was just un, an unbelievable experience, really, really. Um, and every day, Michael would go to see the show. We never went to see the show. We went to see the show once, but we were too busy working on, on things. And I hear from you know, friends of mine, Michael Bennett came and um, he fired 10 people. <laughs> so I went, oh my God, oh my God. Um, but the people that stayed were um, Wayne Salento, you know, and uh, Steve Anthony. Um, they stayed and, um, and of course they went on to do a chorus line. Um, their stories. Um, who else stayed? Michonne Peacock, who was the one that, yeah, she stayed on. Uh, who else? Uh, Tony Stevens stayed on. Um, those are people that were in Seesaw that, that stayed on. And then Michael subsequently used them to develop the course line. And you were brought in uncredited, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, to Dr. Um, Marilyn and Rachel Lily Rosenblum, and don't you ever forget it. And uh, so... No, 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 no. Uh, Marilyn. I came in on Marilyn. Uh, oh. Rachel Lily Rosenblum, there was no hope. <laughs> okay. I mean, people want to see the show to say how bad it was. You know, what I saw... Uh, I was, you know, the dance captain at Seesaw. And one night I get, you know, like six or seven people gave their notice. They were going into this fantastic show called Rachel Lily Rosenblum. And don't forget it. And they all, they all quit, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, a couple of months later, they said, can we have our job back? And I thought, oh, you can't have your job back. I hired people already. <laughs> No, but uh, but I had already done um, my one and only um, with Tommy and Tommy Walsh, and uh, we, Tommy was busy. Tommy Tune was busy performing with Twiggy every night, and so they asked Wally Harper, who was our dance arranger, and Tommy Walsh and I to come in and doctor the show. And um, the first thing we did, we threw out all the scenery. I mean, they had a house that was really a house. We don't need a whole house because it takes forever to get on stage, you know, just get the platform and, you know, two doors. We know it's a house. So, um, yeah, I went into Dr. That. That was quite something because um, uh, Michael left me with the book. I mean, not Michael, uh, Tommy Toon, uh, Tommy Walsh, sorry, left me with the book. So I worked with the actors because they knew that I had my experience with the chorus line. And Tommy worked with the ensemble uh, with Wally Harper. And um, what is Scott's name who does the, uh, oh my gosh. Scott Batchel. Yes. So he played, he played uh, Joe DiMaggio. So I got to work with him. He's one of the husbands, one of her husbands. And um, so, um, that was really 
um, very good experience for me because I was left with a book, you know, and I had to clean up the book and work with the actors and, uh, and they trusted me, which was great. Um, that, that, um, besides having, you know, directed a chorus line, that was another step in the right direction of being a director choreographer. Yeah. So, and, um, but, uh, we had a great time, you know, I think I only had 10 days. We only had 10 days before they opened. We threw out all the scenery. We cut the book. Um, we cut songs. Uh, they added dancing. They did. Um, uh, Allison Reed was phenomenal. She was, um, they hired uh, Marilyn's uh, makeup artist and they also had an out, a foam outfit of uh, Marilyn's body that she would just step into and then put the dress on and the hair and then she would turn around and you would go, oh, oh. yeah. What an experience, incredible experience. Yeah. yeah. And so to talk about a course line now, when was the first time that you heard about the idea for it? When did that? Oh, um, Seesaw had just closed and um, Michael said to me, listen, I'm giving up the business. I'm going to grow to me uh, uh, potatoes in Hawaii. And so that, you know, that that's it. He had had it. And um, so I went off to an audition for Bob Fosse. And within two seconds, I got a phone call from Michael. I hear you were at Bob Fosse's audition. <laughs> because then you didn't cross pollinate. I was not a Fosse dancer. You know, Fosse dancers didn't come to us. Michael used his dancers, Fosse used dancers, and then Mish Michonne Peacock and Tony Stevens came up with the idea because we had heard that Broadway was dying. Um, they were not going to be using um, uh, the ensemble anymore, and why? Why you know people had come to New York to be on the ensemble and to be on Broadway, and that they were going to use singers, um, which did happen because you know a lot of the shows there's no dancing you know dancing dancing and so uh, because at that time seesaw was one of the uh, largest companies we had 16 dancers 12 singers and you know actors it was a huge company and that was the norm you know like oklahoma carousel all of those companies they always had dancers and singers and actors and I think Cecil uh, and Sarava, which was after us, were the last two big, big musicals that had a big cast. And uh, so Michael, um, so Michonne and uh, Tony Stevens started calling people about, you know, um, what are we gonna do? And uh, somebody mentioned that Michael was the new fair haired boy on the block, maybe he could help this and that and the other. And so they started making phone calls, you know. And Bob Avian and I said, we are not going to a all night session to talk about and moan about our lives. So Bob and I didn't go. <laughs> and Michael went and he was smart enough to take a tape recorder. And, um, but, but eventually I, I did get to talk 
on tape with Michael about myself. Um, and of course I heard about it. Everybody talked about it. And Michael said, please, nobody talk about this, you know? And uh, it was about what that tape session, that 24 hour tape session, that tape session. Then there was a second tape session. And um, all in all, there were 52 stories, 52 people. And uh, Michael eventually took those tapes to Joseph Papp and uh, they were condensed. Uh, he and uh, Bob Avian and uh, Nicholas Dante uh, condensed uh, some of the stories. So you have Val, who is uh, Pam Blair and Mitzi Hamilton's story. You have Wayne Salento doing Sammy Williams' story. I can do that. Um, you know, Donna McKechnie was Maggie, and then Kate Cole came in. She became Cassie. Maggie became Kate Cole. So there was a lot of, um, and then we went into our first workshop, which was a skeleton crew of 12 uh, at the, at the, uh, at the um, public theater. And um, that's where some of the choreography for uh, the opening combination and uh, uh, vocabulary for Donna McKechnie's dance came. Um, what else? Then we went into a second uh, workshop and that's when Bob Fosse called his gang and said, you know, I'm doing a show. And so they all left. <laughs> Candy Brown left and Tony Stevens left. Uh, um, you know, they all left. And um, so we had Nancy Lane coming in and uh, uh, just a whole other group came in for the second workshop. And then Michael started bringing in people like Marvin Hamlish and uh, there was more book and Marvin Hamlish came in with uh, Ed Kleban and then then all of a sudden there was a costume designer and there was a lighting designer and are we really doing this? You know, I'm just talking about myself. No acting lessons, nothing. I'm just telling my story. And, uh, um, but, but we knew that it was special and it was basically group therapy I think now that now that you know we look back on it it was Michael Bennett's way of doing group therapy <laughs> um, us talking about ourselves and um, bonding and um, what what theater meant to us and why we're there and um, we knew and we all said to one another if nothing happens with this we we uh, learned so much from this process uh, of just being together. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's like this, what's happening with this pandemic. You know, we all spent a year with ourselves, locked in a room with ourselves or with our family. And, um, and that, was, that was like a chorus line. We were there, we were, it took almost a year uh, on and off to develop this piece, but in the end, um, we found out who we are, and and um, and we developed a show. Yeah. And is there any of anyone else in the character of Connie Wong, or is there any of you in any other characters in that show? Well, Connie Wong, I am Connie Wong. Yes, you. It's my life. Um, born and raised in Chinatown wanted to be a ballet dancer, loved Maria Chalchief at the ballet, 
um, yeah, those are all my words, word for word. Yeah. So when did you know that this show was going to be what it was? Well, nobody knew. I mean, we was just so busy. I was trying to get my right note, the right note for that song. <laughs> um, Bob Lapone said to me one day, we were down at the um, public theater and you know we were just trying to get it on. And he said, come look out the window. And there were long lines of limousines and there was Jackie Onassis, there was Lucille Ball, there was Groucho Marx, there was, you know, Cheetah Rivera, Gwen Verdon. I mean, all of these people were coming to see our show and they would knock on the door and we would just like be gasped, like, oh my God, you know, that's Lucille Ball. <laughs> you know, Groucho Marx brought us a cake. Um, and um, we would all say, uh, and our families would come and see the show or our friends would come and see the show and they wouldn't come backstage. And um, we, we heard later on that they would just, they were just, they were so moved by the show that they, they couldn't speak. And uh, we would say, you know, you didn't come backstage. And they said, well, it was just, it was just too hard because that's my life on the stage or, um, and we say, well, was it good? <laughs> you know, we were always looking for recognition because people would say, oh, it's fabulous. You know, and you can't believe that. <laughs> you know, we, we have friends, you know, that say, oh, we just love the show. Yeah, we don't want to hear that. <laughs> but um, Michael came back one day and he said to me, after we opened and he took me aside and he said, um, the show is all yours. And I went, yeah, he said, you're going to do this show all around the world. And I went, oh, yeah, right. I had just done um, Seesaw and I had just done uh, Henry Sweet Henry <laughs> that didn't run. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, you know, um, OK. He said, no, 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 um, this you're going to do this around the world. I said, OK, Michael. So he said, it's all yours. It's all yours. And that was opening night downtown. Didn't think anything of it at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, Michael wanted to beat the clock and get us to Broadway for the Tonys. And so we opened and closed off Broadway. And we were all of a sudden, we were at the Schubert Theater and we're up for the Tonys. And those people who had left to do Chicago. Now we're, we are competing with them, our friends who had left the show. Unbelievable. Yeah. And we walked right in there and we just took it away. You know, I just couldn't believe it. Just couldn't believe it. What were some of the biggest changes made to a course line during the process of creating it? I'm sure there must've been many. Oh, many, 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 many. I had a song written for me. Um, with uh, Ron Dennis called Confidence and it, um, because he is my competition in the show, um, the ethnic competition. And uh, I look down and I go, well, I've done King and I and I've done Flower Drum. And he'd say, well, I've done, I've done Pearly and I've done Hello Dolly with Pearl Bailey and on and on and on. And, but Confidence, who's going to get it? And that lasted 
24 hours and it was out. And and uh, we, we went to Michael and said, you know, this song is so important, you know? And he said, um, I have to tell you that I have bigger fish to fry for me right now. And that is proving that the Paul monologue stays in the show. And that somebody will write shows for the Asians or African-Americans and somebody else will have to do that. But right now, the most important is for me to make sure that the Paul monologue is heard and that that um, that, that subject matter uh, is opened up. And he was absolutely right. You know, that really needed to be um, opened up and, and talked about. And we've changed a lot of people's lives with that monologue. We have changed a lot of people's lives with that monologue. That, you know, even now, 46 years later, 47 years later, I can go to a foreign country. Uh, I, you know, I've just done it in, um, in Spain uh, or in Austria. And, um, and people are still talking about how that monologue um, still relates to them and, and how it is helping people to come out of the closet. Yes, a lot of changes. <laughs> What do you think the global power of the show has been? Oh my goodness. On and on and on and on and on. Um, the power of love, identity. Um, so many things that, you know, um, apply to the everyday person. I think love. You know, we love what we do. Um, we would get letters from people saying we're quitting our job because we just don't like it. And we're going to find something that we really love. And you people on that stage, really, you know, you, you two hours on that stage to just dance and be like somebody else, <laughs> you know, what you go through. Um, but, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure everybody has their own interpretation of, of the universe um, of, why this show has lasted this long, but I'm the one person that goes to all these foreign countries as well as see it. Um, this is our fourth generation going into our fourth generation. Um, and I really get to see what Michael maybe didn't even realize he was creating. Um, that this legacy of his will live on way, way beyond all of us because it is true to spirit. It is true. It is, it is about truth. The most important, it is about truth and love, I think. Because we stand on that stage and we open up, we just get a knife and we just open up to the director um, whether it's about alcoholism or infidelity, um, a, a bad teacher at school, uh, you know, trying to compete with, with one's sister or whatever it is, or, or my wanting to be somebody else, you know, there's so many, uh, or a poor girl that can't sing, <laughs> you know, and she's trying to stay in the business. All of those things done musically, 
you know, uh, but it's the truth. And, and people seeing the show now, they think that if somebody wrote a play and that, you know, oh my God, these characters are fantastic. No, these are real pe people that sat down and had these experiences. Rich, um, Nicholas Dante had that experience when he talks in that monologue, when he speaks that monologue. Every single minute, um, he, the actor relives what Nicholas Dante went through in his life. And so, and, and uh, the Sheilas and the Cassies, you know, um, they all went through these things. And so when I'm directing the show, it's very important for me to inform the actors that these people are still alive. Some of them are still alive. And they went through these experiences every single day of their life. And it's, it's about the, tr it's the truth. And I'm curious to ask for you as director of these other productions, what is it like to see somebody else telling exactly your story on stage? Um, it, it had to take me a while, but Michael really gave me and Bob Avian gave me the, the real um, key to the show and that is in the casting. You spend as much time casting the right person for that character and take your time, take your time because they must be real on the stage and they must be true to what they are saying. So somebody who is acting the role sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> I am acting this role. So it's important that I find in them some identity with the role. And that takes time. And we have covers who cover three and four roles. And each role that they attempt to cover, they must tap into themselves or into whatever to find so that when they come out and they speak, and they're on that stage, it is real. And, and that's one of the big problems of the show because I can go back three months later and we have a comedy on our hands. You know, they're waiting for the laughs and the, you know, the, the dialogue is like uh, robotic. No, it really has to be an interview that's happening in the present now. And that's hard because no one's written that book how to be in a show for 15 years and make it fresh. That's why actors have to move on. Actors have to either move on or come back. Or uh, I, I realize also when I talk to people who have done the show, moved on, and then they've come back, they all say, wow, you know, coming back is a whole other, other story because I was just worried about the dancing. Um, you know, now I've lived my life and I've come back and these words really mean a lot to me. What do you do when you can't dance anymore? Yeah. I had an accident. I had my knee replaced. I had a hip replaced and I'm still coming back and doing it. And now those words really mean a lot. 
And I'd love to ask another question about the original, which is this man, Michael Bennett, who of course was such a legendary choreographer, but what was he like as a person? And Well, you know, um, he was a chameleon. Uh, he had many personalities. <laughs> and, uh, and I think he had the art of the gift of gab. <laughs> and he just knew how to get you to do what you what he needed and um at his at his memorial service um people came up to me and said you know michael told me that i was the best cassie or michael told me that i was the best and and then i had somebody else say michael told me that i was the best cassie and michael you know and so he just knew how to you know um to manipulate um but but he got out of us what he needed to make this show um, legendary and iconic. Um, and as for me, I have a different relationship with him because I knew him. Uh, I was one. I was his first friend in New York, um, and so I had a very different relationship with him. Um, you know, I was little sister. <laughs> you know. And uh, he knew that I was going to um, take care of his show um, and continue to take care of his show exactly the way he would want it. And what was it like to be planning this performance where it became the longest running performance that people still talk about because of the great night that it was? Oh, that performance? Wow. <laughs> Charles, you must go to the Lincoln Center to see it. Oh, I didn't know that you could see it there. Yes, I think you can go and see it now at Lincoln Center, you know, um, and let them know who you are and that that you, you, you know, you, this is what you do and whatever. Um, what was it like? Michael um, called and said that he had this concept and um, by that time, I had already, what was I doing? I was at the Washington Opera. I was doing other things. Um, I was still doing international companies. And um, Michael asked me if I would uh, invite one person from every international company that I had uh, worked on, invite them to come to New York and work on the last scene of what do you do when you can't dance anymore? And each person would speak in a different language, you know? And so we had a Stockholm, we had an Italian, we had a Brazilian, we had a Japanese, we had, uh, and you know, they would just speak and it was just absolutely incredible. And, uh, and then of course, uh, I wasn't involved that, that took a lot of time for me to get that together. So I wasn't with a lot of the rehearsal, um, but I just remember uh, we were doing the one combination and I was teaching him. Michael came in and he was in front and I, and I just said, Michael, you have to leave. We have to learn, you have got to leave. 
And everybody looked at me and just laughed that I was telling Michael Bennett that he had to leave um, because I was teaching, um, you know, we had been away for what, 10 years uh, or eight years. And people were like, we've done other things. What was it this, was it that, where was my hand, you know? And I just said, Michael, you have to leave. You have to leave, you have to leave. And he said, okay, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. Do your thing, do your thing. So we all laughed. Um, what an experience. I don't think that we all knew the impact that the original company had because we were behind the, um, the photographs and Michael had these signs coming down that said uh, New York company, original company, Las Vegas company tour international company you know so when the original company sign came down i mean you'll see it we we could they couldn't start start the music at all for for sammy to sing at all yeah it just went on and on and on and on and on and you know a lot of people in this fourth generation, they've never, they've seen the show, but they've never seen the original company. Um, they've never, you know, um, but the show still makes an impact and people will always go and see a chorus line because they are so affected by the characters and the truth and they see themselves. Um, yeah. <laughs> How do you think that the experience of today's dancers when they do the show sort of changes the way that it is, that they have a different experience as dancers? They all have the same experience. Oh. They all have the same experience. The choreography is timeless. Yeah. The orchestrations are timeless. When I start teaching the dancing, everybody gets excited because um, I'm very specific. Um, now we have dancers that sing, dance, and act, play instruments, sing like Pavarotti, sing, you know, uh, dance like Ryshnikov. Uh, we, we, you know, we have, we've gone so much further in terms of the requirements, but the book and the stories still touch people's hearts. We still have to open up. We still have to open up ourselves and give to the audience, give to Zach our stories. We still have to be truthful. And everybody who does this show, whether it's a good experience or a bad experience, or just an experience of learning the legendary choreography or just uh, learning the skills of theater because we take in the skills of theater. So I love working with, with the uh, actors who are just out of college or out of high school because you learn to uh, uh, the camaraderie, you learn to be on your number, you learn to um, learn your, your lines. I mean, there's so many um, skills in the theater that you're learning as, as I'm teaching the show. And uh, for people to come back after so many years and go, oh my God, I use those skills with every show. I come in, I 
<clears throat> I do a warm up. I do a 45 to an hour warm up before each performance. And that is to get you in the, the mindset when you go on with your career that you come in early, an hour to an hour and a half, and you warm up and you work on your skills of before you go on the stage. And I do that to, to get you in the habit that you must warm up vocally and you must warm up physically before any show, whether you're in an acting show or you're just in a play or you're in a uh, whatever, that you must come and work and warm up so that you're in the mindset of what you're doing and you're not just coming off the street after shopping all day and you run on the stage and do a couple of bends and that's where you injure yourself and you are not focused. Yeah. And the way this show works is that there are 19 people, well, there's 17 on the line and you have to be in the same place every single night to make this show work. You can't be thinking about doing your laundry you can't be thinking about where you're going to eat or if you're going to meet somebody afterwards and you go off. You have to be in the present every single moment for two hours. And that's when the show works. And is there another thing at this point that you'd like to do with the chorus line, like another place you'd like to stage it or something like that? Well, I'm going to Barcelona. I am no, I'm going to Madrid, uh, September the 3rd and, uh, the company closed in Barcelona before the pandemic, uh, during the pandemic, they closed down. So now we're going to open in Madrid. I want this, I want a course line to be played all around the world. You know, uh, Italy has done it three times. Japan has done it three times. I'm taking the company to Japan again uh, next year. Uh, we've done, we've gone to China. Um, to uh, Shanghai. I want to do it there again. Um, I want it to be constantly uh, being done. Um, and high schools, we have a high school version now um, that high schools can do it. They What they used to do is they used to get the full version and then they do their cut version of taking out all the square words and all of that. But now, you know, we've worked on it and we have a high school version. Um, and uh, it also gives uh, a school an opportunity to get uh, 19 people to be on the stage with a role. Whereas if you do Hello Dolly, you only got five, you know, five principals that, but, um, and the rest are ensemble. So um, I think Course Line is one of the few shows that you have. I think Rent also has a, you know, everybody has a role, but there's nothing like a Course Line and it's timeless. It's absolutely, the subjects are timeless, alcoholism and infidelity and all of these things, you know, it's just timeless and um, being bullied, you know, um, Paul talks about being bullied at school, you know, they would whistle at him down the hallway uh, when he'd go to school and things like that. Um, it, ha it happens now. All of these things are still happening. And so the, the show is timeless. And it's about truth. Yeah. And so I don't want to take up too much of your time, but before we sort of wrap up, I did want to ask about the one other Broadway show you did, which was my one and only that we didn't talk about yet with Tommy Toon, Twiggy, and 
Yeah. Um, the funny thing is that I had been in Australia doing a show called Arnhem. Oh. I was in Australia. And I met two producers who said they were going to do a show called Maryland. And uh, they said, um, they said, um, you know, we're very interested in you directing it. And I went, oh, oh, great. You know, I don't know what I'm doing, but, you know, so they came to New York and I, um, I worked with them for about a month or two, you know, and um, all of a sudden I said, listen, I got to have a contract. I have to whatever, whatever, whatever. And they said, yes, yes, we got the contract for you and this and that and the other. And, um, and then Tommy Toon called me and he said, listen, I'm doing uh, my one and only and I want you to come and you will take care of Twiggy and uh, work with her with her dancing and uh, you'll be an assistant choreographer and you'll choreograph two numbers in the show. And I said, Tommy, I am up for this thing called Marilyn and I don't know if I can do it. I'm waiting to, uh, for my contract. And uh, he said, oh, Bayork, you know, maybe you can do both. I said, well, this is a big opportunity. You know, I've been working on the script with them. Well, you know, the universe really tells you what's going to happen. Because um, I finally called them and said, you know, what's happening with my contract? And they said, well, listen, you know, we are we might be going in another direction and we this and that. I said, listen, Tommy Toon has called. I need to give him an answer within 24 hours. And so um, you, you know, so I gave him an ultimatum and they didn't come up with a contract and I went with Tommy Toon. So for me to finally, after we opened, my one and only to be asked to come to doctor the show was <laughs> incredible, but I've never told that story before. You're the first one to get it. Anyway, my one and only, it was, magical to working with Tommy Tune. I had done uh, my uh, A Joyful Noise with and to be working with Tommy Tune, uh, to be working with Tommy Walsh, who uh, I had done Seesaw with and done the movie Jesus Christ Superstar. I introduced him to Michael Bennett, um, introduced him to all these people. And now he was an associate uh, and I said, this it's the best job ever. And then I got to choreograph the belly dance number and I got to um, uh, choreograph the fish number that opens this, uh, the um, second act. So it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And, you know, we opened in Boston and um, it was, we got terrible reviews. And we shut down and they let the director go, who was um, Peter Sellers. Uh, Tommy became the director, Tommy Toon. Tommy Walsh became uh, co-director, choreographer. Um, I moved up and um, we came into New York and we just um, had another book writer. No, I think Tim, Tim Mayer stayed on. But I mean, it was just, everything was erased and we started again. It was, 
the dancing uh, dancing stayed the same, but um, the book really needed work. So, and Gershwin music, come on, <laughs> doesn't get any better than that. Was there ever a another Broadway show that you were going to direct or choreograph that ended up not happening for some reason, like like you were saying about Marilyn? Oh, huh. I don't remember. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I wasn't supposed to be doing that. I was supposed to be working with Tommy Toon, and they were winning, you know, the Tonys and, and all of that. And then, obviously, I was supposed to be on it anyway because we came in and doctored it. Yeah. You know? So. And I believe shortly before that, you'd worked on a show called I Can't Keep Running in Place, off-Broadway with Marsha Rod and Helen Gallagher, among others. Yeah. And so it's fantastic. Um, you know, I was just trying to get a resume together. I had also, uh, between workshops down at the public theater, they made me a resident choreographer at the public, and I did two shows for them. Um, so I was trying to kind of build a resume and uh, when I got that uh, opportunity, I went, oh, yes, I have to do it. Marsha Rod, come on, you know. And uh, but that that was not about being a director. That was about trying to um, develop my choreographic skills and my staging skills. Yeah, because this is what I, I realized that this is the direction that I was going in. You've now been in the business for 70 years as a dancer and choreographer and director. And what gives you the drive to keep going and keep being such a central part of Broadway? Um, I think it's it's the, the younger generation that I'm training, the energy that they have, the interest that they have in um, picking my brain, the mentorship that I can give them. I think that keeps me going. And also my dedication to a chorus line, which has taken more than half of my life um, to keep that alive. Um, and uh, listen, anybody can teach you steps. Anybody can look at the, the films and, you know, but what happens and why the steps were created and the storylines behind the dialogue and things like that. I try to give as much information as possible. And when I do my auditions, I tell the stories at my auditions. So, and I always say, listen, learn it because you're going to be asked to do it, direct it, choreograph it, and you'll have information. So if I can give that information at auditions to anybody who comes to an audition, I freely give them that um, all of that information. So any director that wants to do a course line that auditions, any of the people that have come to me, they will have the stories and they will be able to share the stories with the director or they will have that information that they can use to um to uh produce the roles and that's the most i think that keeps me going and uh that's very very important and now that bob avian is gone <clears throat> my dear dear bob avian i have more of an obligation to um to keep Michael and Bob's uh, vision going. So the very last question I'd love to ask you is, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out in the theater? 
learn your craft. That's the first thing, learn your craft. If that's, if you wanna be in the theater, then you're in New York. If you wanna be in films, you go to California. Uh, but nowadays you can be anywhere <laughs> doing anything. Uh, but especially theater, I think theater uh, really, the hub is New York. I think filming, you can film, uh, you know, uh, anywhere. Um, but if you wanna be in the theater, hang around it, be around people who are in it and learn your craft. Um, if you want to be a performer, then you take whatever you can get to perform. The most important thing is that you can sing in your bathtub and your shower. You can act, you know, in your living room in front of a mirror, but there is nothing like being in front of an audience. And so uh, we learned that, you know, this last year. Um, that's where you basically learn most of your craft because you can have it on paper, you can take tests, you could be at school, but being in front of an audience and um, knowing when to, to speak after they laugh and your timing and your staging and, and your, your theater craft, that's the most important thing is that you learn your craft and continue to learn your craft. A lot of people are just doing shows now. I'm in a show and so I can't be bothered taking class or doing this or doing that. And we find that the show closes and you have to start all over again. <laughs> and there are people who are studying all the time. Um, another hundred people just got off of the plane and the train, you know, that song. And, and it's true. Every university is churning them out. So if you get a Broadway show and it closes, you have to start at the bottom again unless you have a choreographer or a director that knows you and you're very lucky if you do because there's just so many people that talent is unbelievable out there. So what makes you different? Learn your craft, do your best and don't stop learning. You know, don't stop, uh, keep honing in on your, your craft. Um, and sometimes it's not up to you. You know, it's, it's not your turn. Um, but as long as you know that you're doing the best you can, you went in there and you did the best you can, it's in everybody else's hands. Yeah. It's not in yours because you should know what happens on the other side of the table, the negotiations that you have when you're uh, behind the table, you know, like, um, my dancer doesn't sing, uh, and your, your, your singer doesn't dance. Can we compromise here? <laughs> you know, take my dancer and I'll take your singer, whatever. But it has nothing to do with your audition. You have to go in and do the best you can and come out feeling that I've done my best. I know what, you know, I did the songs that I did. I practiced. I did everything. And it's up to you to hire me. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been just wonderful to talk to you. And thank you for sharing all these stories and advice. And Listeners, thank you for tuning in and remember to come back next time when I'm joined by Broadway choreographer Sam Pinkleton. Sam is currently the movement director for Macbeth on Broadway, but he has also served as choreographer for Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 and Amelie on Broadway, as well as being movement director for the Heidi Chronicles, Heisenberg, Machinal, and Significant Other. He also assisted 
Mark Brokaw on The Lions. Off-Broadway, his credits include choreographing Dave at Arena Stage, Soft Power at the Public Theater, and directing Runaways at Encores. I hope you'll tune back in next time for this, and thanks for listening.